Welcome to Let's Get To, the baseball show from the fans' perspective. Now here's your host, James Christopher. Let's Get To presents the first pitch. Opening thoughts from James Christopher. And welcome to Let's Get To. I'm your host, James Christopher, and we have a busy show for you today. But I want to jump in to talk about something that, to me, honestly seems uh, maybe a little redundant. Certainly something that doesn't need to be addressed with the severity that people address it. But I guess I'm like obligated as somebody who does a baseball show. And that is to talk about why I think Pete Rose does not belong in the Hall of Fame. Uh, it came up again like it does every year. And people want to know when is it time and when do you do it and all that stuff. And the fact is for Pete Rose, I don't think the time is ever. Gambling is the third rail of Major League Baseball. And I know that it was getting weird because we've sort of institutionalized sports gambling and now it's legal. And, and in fact, I think some, I think like maybe the Tampa Bay Rays are sponsored by Bally Sportsbook. That's all well and good. Gambling isn't equivalent to the steroids issue. And it's not equivalent to stealing signs in the sense that the, the rules at some point in time were pretty nebulous as to whether or not they were legal or not. You know, for the beginning of the steroid era, the era there was no policy, and we all know that the the way that the policy for sign stealing in seventeen was handed down, it was handed down in in a way in which MLB gave itself plenty of cover in case teams didn't comply. Gambling has been a no-no in Major League Baseball since the Black Sox. And there are signs in every clubhouse that that's a thing you do not do. And Pete Rose knew it when he did it. Wrongdoing that happened afterwards. And, and I'm telling you, you heard the same clause after McGuire and Bonds and, and Clemens and all those guys were found out about. And you hear the same calls now after the Astros in 17. You... Just because other people have done things that were wrong doesn't mean that it somehow nullifies what he did and he gets into the Hall of Fame. The fact is, is, is one, he really has never been conciliatory about it at all. Um, he has tried to apologize multiple times. And I think it's funny for people who don't want to listen to the Astros' apologies after 17 um, seem to bend over backwards to make more of an apology out of what Pete Rose has said than is there. You know, the other thing I think is you have, um, you have the issue of, oh, but he, he didn't bet on his own team to lose. The fact is, is, is that maybe it's well and good if you don't bet on a football team to lose. Um, a football game happens once a week. Really, the, the days before, days after, it don't impact it. In baseball, you're usually playing series. You're playing stretches of games in a row. How you manage before and after the game you bet on affects the outcomes of those games. How could it not? 
you might stretch a, a reliever or a starting pitcher a little bit longer in a game you've bet on. You might use less capable guys the day before or the day after, and it, it therefore impacts the team in that way. So it's disingenuous to say, well, he never bet on his team to lose. The fact is, he bet on his team to play. Major League Baseball's Hall of Fame has a morality clause. Whether it should or shouldn't isn't the really up to, for debate. It does. And I fully recognize that it could mean that some of the Astros I really like don't get to the Hall of Fame for what happened. Um, I, you know, it, it obviously stands to, be, stands to be seen if they're going to have the numbers to warrant it. But this might hang over their head. And for as much as I think it's disingenuous to say that the World Series um, doesn't count... I completely understand that people don't want to vote for Altuve or whoever into the Hall of Fame. I don't agree with it, but I can see it and understand it. So that's my take, Pete Rose. Um, we should just put that to bed and, and kind of move on. But speaking of moving on, we have a really great show for you today. So stick with us. Show me the merch. The best from the pro shop. So we are back with a packed episode of Show Me the Merch. I mean, just look at the table. You can see that we have a lot going on. So let's jump right in and talk about some of these great teams and some of the great looks you can find at their team stores and on their websites. And I want to start with my right, camera left, and that is the Tulsa Drillers. Uh, but before we jump in, I want to, you know, the Tulsa Drillers are a very important team to me and this show. Uh, it was the first time that Scott McIntyre and I went to a ball game together. And we were at the Bear Bones Film Festival, and we love that festival out there in Muskogee, Oklahoma. But sometimes being around filmmakers can be a little much. And we needed a break. And so the break was in the form of the about an hour drive each way out to the ballpark to watch the first of a minor league baseball doubleheader. Had a great time. I'm also enamored with this team because before that, my wife got me this cap. Uh, it's a 39-30 flex, and it's got the simple, essentially a roughneck drilling for oil through a baseball, Tulsa Drillers. Um, but if you take a look at this hat, I love it. I love the white panel front. It's got that Dodger-esque D, but I like that the, the color scheme on the D itself has a certain oil look to it. I've spoken before 100,000 times on this show about the best brands for me in minor league baseball are the ones that really epitomize the community that they are that they are playing in, the community that they're representing, and the Tulsa Drillers do that in spades. Next up, we've got a great hat. I'm a big fan of the Clubhouse series, and this is the 3930 Clubhouse for the Buffalo Bisons. Take a look at this hat. Take a look at uh, this that classic Buffalo silhouette on the blue. Um, the Bisons are a great brand. They do a lot of really, really cool stuff with their look. And it's, it's a bit disappointing. My best friend, Mike Donis, lives in Toronto, big Blue Jay fan. And we were supposed to hit up the Bisons last season. So maybe 2022, when he can finally cross the border, we can, uh, we can go check them out. Now to my left, we have the two new hats from the Cleburne Railroaders. Uh, we had these guys on our show a few weeks ago. Essentially, a new ownership group got involved, uh, including the good folks from the Portland Pickles. And that led to one of the best redesigns in baseball, and now they're one of the sharpest dressed teams out there. I'm going to start with their script R hat. I love the color scheme on it, and I love that they have a spike and just a small detail at the top of the R going through a star. Uh, that is the, the, the key to a good brand 
is having those small little details, and this hat has it in spades. One of my favorite hats on the planet now is their State of Texas hat, and it's got a really cool railroad track going through the top with, again, a little spike where Cleburne would be in the State of Texas on the map. So really, really sharp-looking lids from the folks in Cleburne. Now, I'm also a big hooded sweatshirt guy. The fact is, is I have amazing hair, and I hate it when I pull a shirt and sweatshirt on, sweatshirt off, and then it messes up my hair. And so um, I'm always on the lookout for really good zip-up hoodies, and I got two that came in the mail. Now, first, from the Portland Sea Dogs. Um, they've been one of my favorite brands since we started the show, and we've got a good friend of the show, Emma Tiedemann, from the Sea Dogs on a little bit later on. But I love the style of it. I love the dark blue with the, the sort of fast-looking text. And, of course, one of my favorite mascots. Now, I also got one from the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. Again, another really great brand in minor league baseball that we've not had on the show yet. Um, but they do a lot of really cool stuff, either with that or with the Utter Tuggers. But um, I'm not a big snakes guy. Uh, my first confirmed kill in the military was a baby rattlesnake that I put about 10 M16 rounds into. Uh, but but snakes is like a mascot for a minor league baseball team. Kind of always works for me. So dig the sweatshirt. And then last but certainly not least, the newest brand out there, and that is the Danville Otterbots. Now take a look at this. It's a lot of fun. Um, and it's, it's a cool design because it, it brings together two elements. It brings together the elements of the natural... Um, wonder of the area, some of the natural beauty in the Appalachian, but also the area is known for some of its technical advances and sort of moving forward in STEM. And so I like the idea that this really combines both of those ideas. And again, bringing back what your community is known for. Uh, so those are our looks for this week. Uh, we are, like I said, we are slam packed, but you can find how to find all these teams in the description of the show and right underneath the video here. So I highly recommend checking them out and supporting these stuff and getting yourself a cool hat or a cool hoodie or a cool t-shirt. Who's on first? The Let's Get To Local 9, brought to you by Zoomer Sport. So we are super excited to welcome the Let's Get To, one of our great friends of the show, Emma Tiedemann. She is the voice of your Portland Sea Dogs. And Emma, I'm gonna start with an apology. Um. I kind of teased you lightheartedly about having to go through a main winter, unaware completely of the winter we were going to have. So I'd like to apologize for that. <laughs> yeah, y'all had it worse than I did, honestly. <laughs> it was awful. There was a moment when it was kind of cute, like, oh, this is fun. And I was playing in the snow and then I never lost power, thank God, but no water, melting snow in the bathtub to flush the toilet. <sighs> and I feel like yeah. I put the karma out, so it's my fault. Yeah, I had power the whole winter. I was nice and toasty, so. How was it, though? Was it sort of fun? I mean, was it kind of neat, or did it get? Yeah, it? Um, it was It was great. I mean, it was definitely more snow than I've ever seen in my life, but to them, it was still a mild winter. Um, for me, it was just getting used to the, the chilly mornings walking the dog and having that wind chill, and it just kind of hurt physically uh, every time walking out the door. But, you know, I went to L.L. Bean, got outfitted. So I got a nice coat now. How did the puppy handle it? He loved it. I mean, he's got long, thick hair. So yeah. he was probably like, oh, 10 degrees outside. I'd love to stay out here all day. A breed bred to, to hang out in the cold, icy waters and things like that. So it's, yeah. 
Yeah, it was it was frustrating with the because every five minutes Quint was wanting to just like head first in I mean pulling snow out of her ears. It was it was oh. awful. But you are, as we recorded this, you are less than, you're about three weeks away from calling your first Sea uh, Dogs game finally. How excited are you? I'm so excited. It still seems surreal that it's actually going to happen because it has been so long um, since I've called my last game and, and since I've, you know, I've been up here for over a year now, um, but I, I'm just thrilled. I cannot wait for that first game. I want to get into the nuts and bolts of what the Sea Dog season is going to look like. And I know that it's changing. It's very much a moving target. But before we do that, something like sort of a broader commentary. Um, you are, again, the voice of the Sea Dogs. You, before that, were the voice of the Lexington Legends. This is something you do. And I'm sure you've seen that some of the, um, even at the major league level, there'll be no radio broadcast for some teams. Uh, what are your thoughts on what we're going to be missing from the game from that perspective? I mean, you're going to be missing the sounds of summer. I mean, what's better than kind of going through your radio dial on a, a, an evening in July and stumbling across either it's a major league game or a minor league game. Um, I think that, you know, teams themselves are missing out on a, a little bit of a marketing opportunity. That's how you kind of promote. And um, I, I just kind of feel bad every, I get a little sad every time I see a team eliminate um, a radio broadcast, just knowing that that's a little piece of the sport and a little piece of our industry that is uh, slowly being taken away. It really, it really hit me too. Cause I think it was the blue Jays who ditched theirs. And it's like, y'all aren't even playing at home. Like you're not even able to go to the games in your own country. So it seems, seems very, very sad. Um, but let's look at the sea dogs. One of the most recognizable brands in minor league baseball. One of my favorite ones with my favorite mascot. Um, what are we looking at as far as getting into the park? Um, what are your seating limitations going to be to start out? And do you guys have a plan and how are you planning on working that? Yeah, I think we've had a plan for, for many months now. I mean, back uh, when the weather was nice last year, we went out and laid out um, as a staff different seating pods and different seating arrangements based on capacity. So we are cleared for about 20% capacity right now. Um, you can come in and, you know, we have different size pods depending on where you want to sit in the ballpark. Um, so you can have two, four, six or eight people with you. Um, and we're taking it kind of month by month from the ticketing si side of things, just in case some things open up in July, we want to be able to, you know, be able to pack the ballpark if we're able to do that, um, for example. So we're just kind of taking it month by month. Um, tickets do go on sale for May um, this week, which is very exciting. Um, and then we'll reevaluate for June and, and on down the line. But I mean, if you were to come to a Sea Dogs game, we have very organized system. We've already gone out, um, put out the grades, got extra um, entrances and, and everything like that. So, you know, on your ticket, you'll know exactly what gate to go to. Um, you'll be socially distanced coming into the ballpark. We've put in extra measures to protect the ticket takers and to protect the fans. Um, and then you have socially distanced seating. You have um, uh, digital ordering in the seat so you can order your food and merchandise. Oh, right that's awesome. Yeah. So you don't even have to stand in line near people. Um, you're going to yeah. stay in your seat the whole time. <laughs> As someone who's lazy and not crazy about people, I am all about that. Right. I mean, like that sounds awesome to me and you don't even have to miss a pitch either. So you don't miss the game. Yeah. Um, so little things like that, that we've kind of implemented and, and we'll make it clear to, to people coming to games that, you know, this is how it's going to work. And um, we're willing to, to be a safe and fun environment for people in 2021. I know a lot of teams too, with their promos are sort of 
doing the same thing you're talking about where they're kind of unro- unveiling them a month out, that kind of thing. Is that how you're approaching it? Do you have a packed promo schedule this year? We do. Um, and, and that'll come out as well, um, a little bit down the line. And again, kind of looking at capacity, um, looking at, you know, bobbleheads that we weren't able to give away uh, last year, looking at splitting that up um, throughout the season instead of just giving away a thousand to half of our crowd on, you know, on a game. Um, so kind of, you know, sprinkling those in a little bit more too. So uh, we definitely had to to take a look at every aspect of the operation from the promotions to the ticketing to the merchandise um, and what that means in a COVID world and, and what that means for Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball with, you know, keeping the players safe as well. Yeah, and it's 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 kind of not as fun if if the first thousand fans get something and there's only a thousand fans there. It kind of takes away the incentive of getting there early and me doing this to make sure I might be in line to get. You know, actually, it's probably less stressful for me. Um, you guys are the Double A affiliate of your Boston Red Sox, um, and you know they say Double A is usually where the talent is, right? Triple A is kind of your major league bubble guys. Who are some players we're looking forward to in the Red Sox system coming through Portland? Um, well, luckily for me, I got to see quite a few of them already in Greenville when I was with Lexington. So some of them will be familiar faces, but, um, I mean, I got to see Tristan Casas, who's the number one prospect, um, come through Lexington and watch him at the all-star game. And he just mashes the baseball. And I mean, for his size too, he's very quick. Uh, he plays the infield corners. Um, so I think that if he stays in double a, again, it's very hard to predict after having 2020 and alternate sites and all that stuff. So if he's comes here, he's probably one of the uh, players I'm most excited to see because uh, I'm pretty sure he can clear the main monster in left field. Um, and then from the pitching side, Thad Ward, um, he worked on, uh, I think he added a slider or a cutter um, to his pitching repertoire in 2020. And he was already pretty nasty before then. Um, and our manager has mentioned that he's, he's even dis- more disgusting uh, for 2021. So, so I think those are the two that I'm, I'm most excited for if they're uh, in Portland. If they, yeah, exactly. If they're in Portland, you know, how, how, how cool is it for your job? I mean, you get to know these players differently than anybody else does. And, I, and I've seen other broadcasters really talk about um, we were talking about, I was talking about Mike Trout on Twitter and a guy who called his games in double a said, yeah, he is a nice dude. How cool is that to get to know these people at a real human level? It's awesome because, you know, for broadcasters that have the same aspirations to be in major league baseball one day, we all kind of root for each other. And so to see someone like that achieve such a difficult goal at at times, it seems um, it's, it's awesome. You know, with the Royals, with, Chris Bubich and Tyler Zuber and um, all those guys debuting last season. I mean, those were all legends in 2019. Those were all South Atlantic league champions that were on the field. And so to see guys like Tyler Zuber uh, be so successful, I mean, I know firsthand, he's one of the nicest people um, that we ever had as, as a legend. he's just very genuine. And then to see him achieve that goal as an undersized relief pitcher, it's just even better. So it's, it's really cool to be able to root for these guys, knowing who they are off the field as well as on the field. And the Royals look good. I think this year, I think, you know, it's going to maybe the top end of that cycle. We'll have Marty Cordero on to really break that down in a couple of weeks, but you know, so you are getting ready to really jump into this. Um, I know you've been there for a year, but one of the more iconic again, brands in double a baseball, which part of, are you looking forward to the most? Is it the field of dreams game? Is it, some of the food stuff. What are you really fired up about? 
Um, oh man, so many things. Definitely the field of dreams. Um, just because I haven't seen that in any other minor league ballpark uh, or even tried to be replicated. It's very unique to Portland. Um, I'm eager to try a red snapper, which is a different type of hot dog up here. And it's literally electric pink. Um, okay, <laughs> so okay. I've never seen one of those. I'm going to, I saved it for the ballpark. We did, uh, sell them at our, um, um, uh, dining, um, events that we did have, but, uh, I saved, I want to have it on a game day. Um, so little things like that, uh, sea dogs biscuits that are, uh, world famous as well. So, um, even though it's mostly food related, I think field of dreams is the one, you know, you cap off the season and the, just the coolest way ever. It is so high on my baseball bucket list that eventually I'm getting out there and I can't wait. She's Emma Tiedemann. She's the voice of your of Portland Sea Dogs. Thanks so much for jumping on. Let's get to you. Anytime. We are jumping on with Andrew Feltz from the Round Rock Express because we have two pieces of breaking news. Uh, Andrew, let's first talk how many people are going to be at the Dell now. Usually last year when we had this discussion, it was whittling smaller and smaller. But now, how's it looking? Yeah, we're, we're moving in the right direction on this deal. Uh, we're excited to, to announce this morning that we're going to open Dell Diamond at a, an increased capacity. Most of our sections will be, the seats will be fully open, available. Um, we will have a couple of socially distanced areas in the ballpark um, for the folks that do want to come out and enjoy some baseball, but stay kind of in that pod style, six feet apart, um, social distancing format. But the rest of the ballparks is going to be open for business and it's an exciting day. Tickets are on sale. We're, uh, we're ready to roll for, for Mark, uh, May 6th, opening day. So I guess the logistics guy and me, did you guys have essentially a plan? Like you have a, like op plan 25 and it's 25% op plan 50 or, or is it every time it changes, do you have to go back and just redraw the whole drawing board? You know, we, from the day that the minor league baseball season got suspended, had been working on plans, all sorts of plans, 25%, 50%, a hundred, if it's pods, if it's not pods, every other row, all these. So we had, I can't even tell you how many different plans and, uh, you know, it's really nice to be, you know, working with Major League Baseball and they're communicating with us kind of we expect, you know, these changes are going to happen or we think these things and that we can go back through and tweak our plans and look. And so um, we were ready. And once once Major League Baseball kind of defer, let the clubs defer to their own local governments, we had a plan in place that, that we felt comfortable presenting to the county and to the city and they were fully on board and they're uh, ready to go. I'm so excited for you guys. I'd already actually have tickets for uh, opening night. So my wife and I will be there, I think in section 113, come say hi to us. All I'll right. There. Absolutely. Um, another thing you guys do, and at first I want to give a, a, a thank you. I thank you guys on Twitter. Um, you know, obviously people are interested in the Astros and y'all are no longer the affiliate, but I thought it was super cool that you responded to the Astros or whoever runs your Twitter responds to the Astros fan with the information on Oda Rizzi for the game. I thought that was just a, a great move. So thank you for that. It, it was awesome. Yeah, of course. You know, it's it's uh, getting to host this Texas Rangers alternate training site. It's been a, a really fun experience. It's a unique experience. It's one of those, you know, pandemic induced things that, that we're kind of dealing with and learning on the fly. But uh, getting to play exhibition games here against the Houston Astros uh, was really a blessing that, that their alternate sites in Corpus Christi, that we're where we are, we can link up with them. Um, but there's it's, it's interesting, you know, there's no radio broadcast, there's no stream, there's not these elements of, of the game that you'd have in a normal you know, minor league or major league season. And so, yeah, it was on social media. We're, we're here to provide the info that we can and get people excited about baseball and, you know, play our, our role in, in getting this sport back, back going. And now we apparently can be at these games. Explain, explain how that's working. Cause I've seen on your schedule, 
I think y'all in the Royals and then you guys in the Astros. So we do. We have four more exhibition site games uh, here at Dell Diamond, the 19th and 20th against Houston, and then April 26th, 27th against Kansas City. And originally, when we were in our, our pod-style seating, uh, it was going to be a, you know limited attendance under that format. And so we opened up these games up to our, our season ticket holders, our sponsors, our suite holders. I'm going to let those folks, hey, be the first ones back in the ballpark, experience these exhibition games, you know, get back to it. And as part of our proposal, proposal to Major League Baseball to open at an increased capacity, one of the things that we kind of layered in was gradually getting to where we're going to be for opening day over the month of April. So that's been a nice, another nice blessing about hosting this alternate site. You know, the guys are here training and trying to get ready, but it's the same for our staff. We're trying to get back yeah. into let folks in the ballpark kind of remember our game day routines and pinch points and work through all of this just normal baseball stuff that we haven't got to do in, in so long. And so we're going to increase our capacity over the month of April. As a result of that, single game tickets for those, those last four exhibition games are, are on sale to the general public. So we invite folks out, come kind of get a taste of what, what this is going to look like for 2021 and uh, let's play ball. Uh, last question then. Um, and I got an email from you guys. Cause you, you know, for those of you out there, like when I cover a team, I also still buy tickets. Like I like to, I get there early to shoot my stuff, but as much as anything, I like to have a, a permanent base of operations as opposed to just sort of getting kicked out of someone else's seat through the whole ball game. And so you guys send out an inf- a voucher uh, for people who had tickets last year, the two for one thing, explain, explain what that is. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So we had, you know, all, all sorts of facets of, of having us canceled seasons. Unprecedented is, you know, a word I think is overused today, but uh, there's really no other way to describe it. So no, really, not really. Our, our full season ticket holders and our, our, some of our mini plans and things like that, that folks had already paid in full or put a deposit down or put money in, uh, you know, we went to everybody kind of individually and said, hey, here's the boat we're in. If you want to keep supporting us, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to have a credit. It's going to roll over. You can use it. We gave um, everybody that, that rolled over their credits from what was supposed to be the 2020 season to 2021, we gave them a 15% like little bonus, just, Hey, thanks so much for, for supporting us and helping us get through this. And same thing for single game ticket buyers as well. Uh, those folks that bought games, single game tickets for 2020, we kind of said the same thing. Hey, we'll let you exchange these for any game in uh, 21. And then we said, Hey, you know, as, as a, a bonus for, for supporting us, for sticking this thing out with us, we'll just go two for one. Um, so anybody that bought a single game ticket for 2020, you can call our box office, uh, visit the box office at Dell Diamond, exchange that ticket. We'll give you two, pick your game, come whenever you want. Of course, based on availability and all those other things, but uh, right. you know, this year that's not going to be uh, much of an issue. Well, that's awesome, Andrew. This is why you guys are our favorite AAA club out there. Uh, we'll talk to you in a few weeks and just check in and see how things are going. But thanks for jumping on. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. So we're excited to welcome to the first edition of our new segment on Let's Get To Into the Maze with the normal Corn Belters. And we're here with our good buddy of the show, Matt Durkin. Matt, first of all, how you feeling? Be honest, because you told me something right before the segment started. How you feeling? I'm good. Just had the vaccine this morning, so the side effects are starting to yeah. Kick in, so it's a little worse than it was a few hours ago. But uh, this uh, second dose, or did you get the J and J? I got the Johnson Johnson. Just okay. All at one. Well, you know what though? I yeah, I, I definitely got hit by a truck when that happened. We closed on a house. And my wife was feeling with it. I was just like ready to sign her name because we're not rescheduling at one point she actually stuck her head in the air conditioning. So that way she did not have a fever when she got scanned in. So, um, but it means you'll be at the ballpark and safe. 
yeah, it's better to get this over with now and make sure we can be as safe and socially distant as possible for our fans, um, just so they can have a more comfortable and welcoming environment like they did last summer. Yeah, that's it's absolutely what we're going for. And I know, um, man, one team was offering inject. I think it was oh the Texas Tech Red Raiders go to the ball game this weekend and get the the, the giveaway was the Johnson and Johnson site. I was like, I've never seen that before, but that's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. It keeps on giving. Let's talk about the gift that keeps on giving with the kids and tell me a little bit about the, the kids club you guys have going for the corn belters this year. Yeah. So um, we used to have a kids club before and it kind of just fell through the cracks and it wasn't really run well. Um, so this year that was one of our big, kind of the off-season missions was revamp our kids club and find a sponsor for it. Um, and we're really gracious and fortunate that um, IMB Bank here, that's a locally based um, bank to Central Illinois, they decided to be the sponsor for it this season. So they've had a great partner with us so far and we're just really excited to continue our relationship with them moving forward. Tell me how the kids club is going to work for the kids. Yeah, so um, there's two different ways they can register. They can just go to our website um, and kind of check out like all the rest of our tickets um, through our online box office, or they are able to go to a different IMB location here in town that's probably about a few miles from the ballpark, and they can sign up there as well. I think uh, I love that you guys are doing this. Uh, you know, some of my be- best memories as a kid were being an Astros buddy mm-hmm. and, you know, getting all those little moments just kind of makes you feel a little bit more um, and special and involved. Now, speaking of involved, you guys had a rollout of, on social media of the new uniforms for uh, the Colonel Collegiate League. Now, when can I order that blue caps jersey? I want to know. <laughs> so we're, we're still deciding whether jerseys will be for sale with them. Um, we will have some specialty jerseys for them here and on in the upcoming weeks. Um, so you will have a chance to buy one of those then. And then um, our hats are all on sale for pre-order now. So the rest of the merchandise, like sweatshirts, long sleeves, t-shirts, they'll be all available come opening day. Um, but as of right now, we're just taking pre-orders for hats. Okay. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the design of the of just the different looks. How did you guys work through that? Who came up with them? I know you had a hand in a couple of them, right? Yeah, so um, we kind of just looked at what the different MLB teams have done, what minor league teams have done, and we kind of just played with our colors with a few of them. Um, the Blue Caps one, for example, you will see the Astros rainbow jerseys is becoming more and more of a common trend, especially minor league ball. But we didn't really see any of them that had that like light blue, navy, and grayish tint to them. So like, hey, we'll, we'll try this. Um, I think they turned out pretty cool. Um, and then just like with the Howlers, even though we're going for the wolf and coyote theme here in the Northwest, um, the colors kind of portray a Southwestern theme to them. So we kind of looked at what the Arizona Diamondbacks have done. Okay. Um, some other minor league teams out there. And we're just like, hey, um, we thought having Howl on it instead of Howlers or just yeah, that was a great idea. Cool, um, unique touch. So we're really excited about how they turned out. And so you said to, um, you know, you guys are getting started uh, in about what, five or six weeks. Mm-hmm. What can we look forward to in the first month? What kind of theme nights are, are you guys uh, ready to reveal or, or how do we find out more? Yeah. So 
we'll have a pretty big opening weekend. Um, some giveaways like frisbees, rally towels, um, post game fireworks, and then we'll have on our first corn bash night, which is Monsters Inc. themed, with the 20th anniversary coming out here this year. Um, we'll have specialty popcorn for sale, um, some cutouts to take pictures with, post game movie playing, of course, on the scoreboard, um, as well as solely popcorn. So that was something we kind of experimented with in the concession stand here. Um, so that'll be a cool event. And then outside of that, I think six or seven of our corn bash nights happen between May and June. Um, so it's just going to be a really busy first month of the year, but it's the way we like to roll here. Busier the better. Yeah, you, you guys were the one, one of the few organizations that was busy last year. So now it's just like, you know, I always ask the question or have been this year, of what's it going to be like to be back in the ballpark? For you, it's back to work. Yeah, ours is more take what we did last year and multiply it by two because having about 70 to 75 games compared to the typical 30 we're used to it's going to yeah. be a big jump but we're excited because we say it's a lot not even MLB teams have stuff going on in their stadium every night um, so we're one of the few teams in the country that can say that and we're really excited to see how it plays out well I can't wait to get up there in June um, and like you said we're going to have you on about once a month to preview the, 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 the coming up and month and wrap up the one before. Uh, but Matt, as always, thanks so much for jumping on. Let's get to you. Yeah, no, thank you. Have a good one. Go, go Astros. Go, go Astros. A focus on H-Town Hardball. State line, April 8th. My brother, Tim, is at Astros opening day. Uh, I know you shot some video for us, Tim. And before we get to the video real quick, what's it like to be home? Man, um, I didn't think it was being emotional. I didn't think like that. But as soon as you get in there and see the, the park lit and all the fans out there and, and just – it's amazing. It's great to be back. And it's, so far, it's a great game. So, um, you know, real quick, um, I know it's only about half capacity. They said about 21,000. Does it feel that empty or does it feel full? You know, it's funny. Uh, my sister-in-law is the one that got me the ticket. She surprised me, and, and I, I totally written off going, as, as you know, from, from two episodes ago. Um, and as we were walking through, we grabbed a beer. Like, does it feel hot to you? Does it feel like there's a lot of people? And she's trying to remind me that there's – usually there's, we're elbow to elbow, and she can't breathe. But So, yeah, we're thinking that in perspective. It feels empty almost. It's, it's weird. You have plenty of room to walk. You can breathe. Um, uh, you know, the, where we're sitting right now, we're kind of close together, but yeah, it, it feels empty. It's definitely a different vibe. It's almost like five years ago. All right, we'll take real quick, Tim. <laughs> let's, let's take a look at what you saw. Okay, man. Here we go. in 2021 was like none that I've been to before. As we walked out of the rideshare onto Crawford Street, the once vibrant festival was now reduced to one tent and a lone sign welcoming back fans to the hollowed grounds they had not stepped foot on in a year and a half. I approached the field as I did many times over the last 20 plus years. 
but the realization that this year and a half was the longest these loyal fans and myself have endured since last enjoying a game at our home away from home. A year and a half that brought tragedy and loss to so many and fear and uncertainty to all. Maybe this is the best medicine that anyone could ask for, being with friends and seeing places and things that meant so much to us all for so long. Sure, it's just a baseball park, and sure, it's just a game, but at that point, more than ever, it was the most important place to be for a lot of people. Walking to the familiar spots and seeing the pro shops where we've all visited so many times, see our favorite eating spots, and finally making it to my favorite bar. After grabbing a delicious beer, the taste of which only happens in a few places in the world, we finally head to our seats ready for what we were all waiting for. But then, it was time. The wait was finally over. The hometown nine were taking the field. As the night starter, Christian Javier, set to face his first batter, I realized that this was also a huge day for him. It was the first time he had pitched in Minute Maid Park in front of the hometown crowd after being called up in the 2020 season with no fans, and the first time he had pitched a home opener, and he didn't disappoint. The Astros are in great form, excited to put a show on for the fans that stuck by them through thick and thin. Now I wish I could show you more footage of the bigger moments of the game, but I made a point to put the camera down, grab a couple Crawford box, and enjoy the evening. Take it in, chew with my fellow fans, and complain when people for some reason still did the wave. Thanks to my future sister-in-law, I was able to keep my tradition alive. Another magical opening day with these Houston Astros. So until next time, grab a friend, family member, head out to a ball game, grab a hot dog and a beer, and appreciate that we are able to do this magical thing again. Go out, enjoy some baseball in any and all forms. Thanks for watching, and go Astros. Well, Tim, I, I, I'll be honest. Um, I'm so excited that you're A, there. Uh, I could tell when we did do our last segment that I was going to bum you out not to be there. And thanks so much for sharing your glimpse of opening day with us. Man, it's my pleasure. Anything for you guys. Um, it's great to be back. It's great to have baseball back. It's great to watch it live. Um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to find one of my – to be here with one of my uh, – you know, Christian Javier, who is his first time pitching in front of the live audience in Houston. And he's, he's doing great, and uh, it's, great to be, it's great to be here. Let's get to presents Goodwood. Knocking around the majors with Andy Tom Chesson. So we're here with Andy Tom Chesson for Good Wood, and I want to talk about Tyler Bowers' balls. I mean, it's only the natural progression of where this segment is going to go. When you have a segment called Good Wood, the fact that we're four episodes in and this is the first time we've talked about anybody else's balls is pretty surprising 
it's pretty surprising. So to fill everyone in, and I think I might shock people by kind of de facto defending Mr. Bauer in this segment. Um, News leaked that Trevor Bauer or Tyler Bauer, as we refer to him, some of his balls were pulled out of the game to be inspected. We know that the MLB is putting a focus supposedly on foreign substances. What is unclear, has every pitcher's balls been thrown out or just Mr. Bowers? First of all, to that, to that regard, Andy, what do you know about the situation? Is it every, is it a cross section or just his? Well, if you, uh, there's, you know, as Astros fans, and I know that's not this segment, but there's some similarities to the memo that was sent out late 2017 about MLB is going to start cracking down on the use of video um, technology to help batters. March of 2021, MLB sent out a similar memo to all 30 teams indicating that they're going to start cracking down on foreign substances on baseballs. Um, Tyler Bauer, Trevor Bauer, as his mother calls it probably, um, is one of the people who is probably the person who has the strongest level of suspicion around him because he's also ironically one of the most critical of other teams doing that, not necessarily accusing, but coming up everything, but accusing uh, certainly the Astros and a few other franchises of having pitchers who increase spin rates through using foreign substances. Now, the interesting thing in 2018 is that uh, Trevor Bauer, right after his last round of this kind of accusations, um, his spin rate increased by like 500 rotations per second, the next start. And he refused to comment on what could possibly have done that. Flash forward to 2019, he wins the Cy Young Award, or in 2020 wins the Cy Young Award. Um, and his spin rate has stayed dramatically higher than the rest of his career. And so there's some feeling that his balls have been investigated or being investigated, A, because he's been outspoken about it, and B, because MLB operates on rumors and innuendo rather than hard facts. Let's talk about the, the, the part you, you hit on first then. Um, is it because he, – because he's critical of, of the MLB front office and, and Manfred about all sorts of things, some of which I sort of agree with, some of which I don't, but he is not afraid to share his opinion. We know that Major League Baseball doesn't really like that. Is there any, any truth to the idea that it really is because he's been the squeaky wheel? Oh, I – fully believe that Manfred's front office and Manfred, MLB under Fred, uh, Rob Manfred, Fred Manfred um, is absolutely the We're kind, just changing everybody's names on this show. That's right. I'm 50. They're the kind of organization that absolutely has a history of penalizing people for being critical of them, especially if it's somebody that has control, you know, they have control over through means like this. Uh, so yes, uh, Trevor has been outspoken about his disdain for the way Major League Baseball conducts themselves in a lot of different instances, um, was very vocal during the free agent period uh, before he signed the giant contract with the Dodgers. And honestly, I think that led to his market being somewhat limited because um, I don't I, while he did sign a huge $40 million a year deal with the Dodgers. I don't think there are quite as many teams pursuing as he wanted to believe there were teams pursuing or wanted to have people think. And I think that's because he's the kind of guy that speaks his mind. Um, Right, wrong, or indifferent, however you feel about that, I do think there is certainly the 
strong enough circumstantial evidence to suspect that MLB is retaliating against him to put him in his place. Much of that actually matters. Um, I've read that that ball players, hitters prefer there be a little bit of something sticky on the ball and not want to get murdered in the face. I also don't think, by the way, stealing a sign matters. I think both those are all things you can combat in game. How much of it really does matter that if people, if they're applying a substance to the ball? It's a really interesting time to go after this kind of thing. Um, And it's doctoring the baseball is absolutely 100% part of baseball history. I know we're going to get the people who watch this segment and, oh my God, it's cheating. And I can't believe the integrity of the game. It has literally been happening since somebody decided to throw a ball at somebody holding a stick. Pitchers are always going to try to find a way to get it an advantage. Um, you know, the great scene from major league where Eddie Harris is talking about how his arm isn't what it used to be. So it might be Vagisil. And if the umpire is watching you real closely, you're going to load up some jalapeno and put snot on the ball. And it just is. And batters know this. Batters are allowed to use pine tar to keep the grip on the bat. And there hasn't yet, George Brett notwithstanding, that incredible historic meltdown, um, been any issue with that part of it I think it's baseball trying to cause problems where there are no problems Uh, and I think it's to a different degree than you know a scheme that involves video cameras and trash cans and I'm saying this as an Astros fan that went a little bit beyond the pale I understand the outrage by it I don't think they were the only team doing it but I understand why that's something you wanted to stop sure but I don't see any incentive for a pitcher to stop trying to find an advantage when you have hitters who are trying to get bigger, stronger, faster, increase bat speed, use video technology, use all the things they can to make those pitchers look bad. Pitchers have to defend themselves. And I'm saying this as somebody who played as a catcher and by nature hate pitchers um, because they're weird and they stick out and they're, they're, let's put it this way, Trevor Bauer is outspoken outspoken he is not outside the norm and i think we can look at scott mcintyre to know that pitchers are a little bit off damn shots fired yeah and like you like you're saying um there's a response to everything in baseball i would think outside of steroid use where the only way to combat steroids was to also poison your body um again i don't have a problem with sign stealing because it's that's the easiest one to defend right you change the signs uh, look down the road, though. How much of this, and am I getting a little too tinfoil hatty on this? How much of it really is? You're entering a CBA. That dude is going to be a thorn in everybody's side because he doesn't know how to shut up, and he's not necessarily clear as to whose side he's on. How much do, it, it, could it be preemptive of shutting him up before that starts? I think that's a huge part of it. Is if he knows he is under suspicion, uh, under suspicion, or under investigation especially if this is one of those MLB investigations that takes two years to complete, um, which is weird because it's a baseball and you're going to be able to say there's a, there's a substance on it or there's not. They don't take the involved to labs. Um, you've got a further problem with now identifying if there is a substance, who put it on there? Because yes, it could be Trevor Bauer, um, but it could be his catcher. It could be the first baseman who has something on his glove. I found that interesting that he was already laying out the defense before he was actually accused. Oh, absolutely. Because I thought that was very interesting. It's a dance, right? 
Um, and I think that's another part of it. That's how teams have gotten around pitchers being there was a and I hate to keep using Astros as an example. Mike Scott used to have the balls checked, uh, have his balls checked on a regular basis because they were convinced that he was filing down balls that he had an actual. And we recommend every every adult male get their balls checked regularly. Right. But not by Roger Craig. Not by, not by Roger. If you can help it, not by Roger. Yeah. I'm sorry. Certainly, certainly not by major league umpires. Um, but it became this thing where the suspicion helped his mystique. Um, it didn't help Joe Necro when he was found with an actual nail file in his glove, in his hat as a member of the Minnesota twins. Um, but the, these, this was in 1986 that Scott was being um, looked at. I think it was 88 when Necro got caught on the mound with, with an actual nail file in his glove, not suspicion of, um, but sandpaper and all. I, mean, there's I remember just, the sandpaper, yeah. It, it's just this nonstop parade of one side trying to get advantage over another. And I think the players know that it, to the point of sign stealing. The players aren't outraged by sound, sign stealing. The fans have been outraged by sign stealing because they've been told by the media to be outraged by sign stealing. The oh, yeah. Not- I, what are you talking about? Don't you see how every time an Astro gets on base, there's a yelling mat? Oh, no, wait a minute. They're just joking around with the other. Players. Yeah, it's never happened. Um, even the fight last year between the A's was not about sign stealing. It was literally about somebody thought they got hit by a pitch and they were young and hot tempered. Um, yeah. I, I think the interesting things with Bauer back to him is that he has already laid out the defense because I'm sure his agent has told him what that defense needs to be. And he's a smart guy. He's an asshole, but he is a smart guy. And I don't think MLB wants to necessarily get in this fight. They're gonna because they don't do smart things. But I think you're basically putting this clamp on him that we're going to keep investigating and keep looking at the balls you throw all year long because we want you as quiet as possible. and if we end up having to suspend you, especially after the Dodgers get eliminated from the playoffs, um, then who's going to listen to you anyway? You're suspended. You're disgruntled. Da da da. You're a big cheater. Um, I do think it's also very interesting since I brought up the media, and I think I, what I say is always interesting. Um, how quick to defend the media has been of, tra- of uh, Trevor Bauer versus somebody like Jose Altuve. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about that. Buster Olney, who has now tried to use the most lawyery of language to say he never accused uh, Altuve of using a buzzer, even though a, a person with that soapbox, that, that, that megaphone, an right. illusion is everything, has now bent over backward to defend Trevor Bauer. Are we left with any, is there any level of integrity left in any of this? How do I not just go to bed angry all the time? Um, I would assume bourbon. Um, Austonian whiskey is very good to prevent you from going to bed angry. Are they a sponsor? They should be. They actually are a sponsor of my other venture, Austonian Whiskey. Help you go to bed when you're angry. That's right. Um, you know, there, there's no integrity. That's, that's what's so comical about it. There is no integrity. The media pick sides. They pick players that they want to promote and they want to destroy. Um, and they wash their hands when they're proven wrong. Uh, and it's not just baseball media. It is the media in general. If I throw out a headline because I want to be first and not right, and it happens to be wrong, um, my retraction 
that's going to be on page 30 of the um, garden section of the Sunday paper that maybe not even Sunday, Saturday paper that nobody reads. Right. I don't care that you know that I was wrong. I want you to get that headline. Uh, only he's taken a different tact of saying, well, I never said it. I didn't say it wasn't, but I never said it did. Uh, meanwhile, you have the alternate media, John Boy, who has made a career, and I would wager to bet that his um, value it, from a media perspective jumped up 500% when he started pursuing Altuve wearing buzzers and Reddick wearing a wire and all the things that turned out to be confetti and nothing. And you're right. He built an entire career on it. And then to turn around and sell Astro shirts during the playoffs. Yeah. There, there is no integrity because only would be the first person to introduce Altuve at his Hall of Fame induction if he was asked. So there is no, there's no good in it anymore. And that's, you know, I think that's ultimately what it comes down to Major League Baseball. I was very excited to watch the Astros win four in a row. I was less excited to see them lose three of the last five. Um, I'm still going to watch every game. But just the ancillary nonsense that seems to be surrounding the game right now, I am losing so much interest in. Um, and, and honestly, if there's a work stoppage, we may be doing a cooking segment next year. Well, I really think we're going to have a rule. I, I, I honestly think we won't finish this season and we will not start the next one. I think that's how it's going to go. But if you're I, using nonstick pots and pans, by the way, wood spoons are the way to go. And we can transition good wood into that. So I'm, <laughs> I'm all set with a future plan if it goes that way. It's funny. I actually told a good friend of the show that I was going to start a cross-stitching show if it happened. So we'll just do all kinds of crafts. Let's get two crafts. <laughs> No, I, I just, I, I'm with you. I think, um, you know, I think the mental gymnastics are um, really just gross to watch. I, I don't know what we're left with. Um, the media, like you said, not even just in baseball, but in all their walks of life. You know, we, we've gone from Walter Cronkite being the most trusted man in America to bolster only, um, not even staying with the same sort of moral um moral consistency and it's it's uh, a really sad state to be in well it's very apparent when buster olney and uh, rosenthal and some of the other big time sports writers are carrying water for mlb uh even cbs sports because i was doing a little bit of research before this segment um their article and cbs sports in general is very neutral um i think they're a good source because they leave the commentary out uh, reported the facts of uh, Trevor Bauer's balls being investigated and what the next steps are. And then if you look below the ad break, there's a, uh, two paragraphs about why Bauer is being picked on and how he has so much suspicion around him. And it's just natural that Major League Baseball would be wanting to look at him. Major League Baseball is creating the narrative, uh, just like they wanted to create the narrative of Orange Team Bad. And the media who don't want to lose their access because that's how they get paid is carrying their water um, without question anymore. And, and that's disturbing. It, it's certainly disturbing when it's happening in baseball, just like it's disturbing when it's happening in national politics, just like it's disturbing when it's happening in any walk of life. Uh, this show's about baseball, so that's where the outrage is today. But it's when it becomes apparent, um, it's just, you know, to use Buster Olney's words about Trevor Bauer, it's just gross. It is gross. Um, you know, as we wrap up then, you know, orange team bad is continuing to play out. Um, you had 
people cheering for Max Stassi to, to break the Astros back, booing Martin Maldonado. It doesn't matter that they were both catchers in 17 on the same, on the opposite teams that were playing. Each right. Other. Um, but AJ Hinch is rolling back into Houston. We're recording this on the night he shows back up. By the time the episode drops, they'll have long been gone. What kind of reception do you think he deserves, not just from the fans, but from the team itself? And do you think he's going to get it? Uh, from the uh, last part first, from the team, I think it's going to be very positive because he had every opportunity to throw those guys. Rephrase. The front office, the organization is the Astros. Will he get a video? I think he will because I think that's handled at a marketing department level. I don't think Jim Crane decided Charlie Morton was getting a video. I don't think Jeff Lunau decided that was, you know, happening. So I think that, yes, from a standpoint of recognizing that 70% of the tickets they have sold for that first game is going to be because they wanted to be there for Hinch's first game. And that's part of why Major League Baseball loaded it up at the beginning of the year um, or close to the beginning of the year as they could. Uh, so I, I would expect Hinch to be professional. Um, I don't think he is the kind of guy that's ever going to say a negative word about a former employer. Um, I think the team is going to embrace him. And I think at batting practice, which you won't see on camera, there's going to be a lot of hugs and uh, stories told and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and I think Dusty's going to be cordial. And I think they'll shake hands and exchange lineup cards and everything's fine. And I do think there is a moment of, hey, Thank you for everything that you did for your five-year career here in Houston. Four-year career. Should have been five. Um, have been six. From the fans, I, I think it's a standing ovation, and I think it actually plays into past the first game. I think you'll see it in, in probably some form and fashion, second and third game as well. Um, because Hinch, of all the actors, got the rawest deal. And I think he's the first person to admit that he should have been stronger in his opposition um, because I think not unlike, uh, to use a University of Texas reference, Charlie Strong puts up a news bulletin board material and expected his players to get angry and tear it down, and they didn't. He kind of knew what kind of team he had. Uh, I think Hinch expected me putting a bat through the monitor twice should have been a strong enough message without me having to call you out, Carlos Beltran, or not yeah. me having to call you out, Carlos Correa, or whoever else would happen to be involved. Um, and they needed more direct leadership. He didn't provide it. I think he regrets that. I think he said that he regrets handling it that way, but he didn't condone it. He did try to stop it. I'll be, I'll be it in a weak way. Sure. And I will continue to disagree with Crane's throwing him under the bus as part of the problem. Um, this is year long suspension should have been enough and he should be our manager this year. Um, Lunau is a little bit different story because I think there were some issues with his organization as a whole. Um, witness to, you know, all the scandals with uh, yelling at reporters from his staff members and how he treated other front offices. But Hinch wasn't a part of that. Yeah. Hinch is a guy that took a roster that was very good and made them better. And, you know, I can say from watching Dusty for the last 60, 75 games, um, Hinch is in a different class as a manager for me personally, especially when it comes to handling a bullpen, which, you know, part of being a catcher versus being an outfielder. Um, I miss him, and I hope the fans, you know, treat him the way I expect them to, and I think they're standing ovations, and 
I think there's a lot of love to be exchanged. I'm just going to wrap it up there then. Raiders of the Lost Diamond, a look into baseball's past. So we are excited to jump into Raiders of the Lost Diamond. Andrew Nelson is here. Now, Andrew, I noticed you've got a Fort Worth Cats hat on. Is this cat pre or post when they CGI'd the buttholes out? Oh, that's the different kind of cats. My bad. Andrew, how are you? Good, how are you? And Andrew, I want to call this the, the first in, in, in a few editions of Raiders of the Lost Diamond where it's our axe to grind. So what are we talking about today? All right, well... Today we're talking about uh, one of the casualties of one baseball. So we're going to be talking about the Texas League this, this week rather than just one team. So the Texas League brand unfortunately died, uh, depending on what you call it, early this year or late last year, and uh, was replaced by the AA Central League. Is it a league? I, I don't, don't know. I, I, that's a great question. I don't know if they're using Because they the just word call word. it double-A central. So I, I don't know if they even think of them as leagues anymore, to be honest. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, Sorry, right. I just I, made I, things I mean, worse. <laughs> it's funny. I just uh, It just dawned on me that I don't know that I've ever heard them say league or not league. Yeah, that's a great yeah. point. Um, the original Texas League was founded in 1888, and it went through a couple of iterations, but the modern version of the league started in 1902 as a class D league and fielded the Corsicana Oil Cities, Dallas Griffins, Fort Worth Panthers, Paris Eisenfelder's Home Seekers, Sherman Denison Students, who ended the season as the Texarkana Casket Makers, and Waco Tigers. <laughs> Early 20th century baseball was a wild thing. I, I want a casket makers throw out throwback night so bad. Like I'd have that hat. Let's be honest. There, there's honestly a really great um ebook about the early Paris uh teams that uh starts with the home seekers and talks about some other great teams. I really recommend it. It's only a couple of I, I will definitely on check it out. Definitely check it out. Um <clears throat> In 1911, the Texas League was promoted to a Class B League, to Class A in 1922, and A1 in 1936, finally ending, ending up as a double-A league when they resumed operations after World War II in 1946. Some of the many memorable teams to play in the Texas League included the Alexandria Aces, Amarillo Gold Sox, Ardmore Territorians, Arkansas Travelers, Austin Senators, Beaumont Exporters, Brenham Cotton Pickers, Cleburne Railroaders, Corpus Christi Hooks, Dallas Submarines, nice, uh, El Paso Diablos, Fort Worth Cats, Frisco Rough Riders, Galveston Sand Crabs. I think that's my favorite one, to be honest. I, I think that's my favorite one, too. And, if, and I know you've never been to Galveston, but that'd be a great place to still have a ballpark because it's a yeah. great beach and everything. Yeah. Um, Houston Buffaloes, of course. Longview Cannibals. <laughs> Memphis Blues. Midland Rockhounds. Oklahoma City Indians, not affiliated with the Major League team, at least initially. Northwest Arkansas Naturals. Paris Parasites, another one of those 
great teams that you can read about that book I mentioned earlier. Uh, San Antonio Missions, Shreveport Swamp Dragons. That's actually badass. Yeah, isn't it? That's pretty damn cool. Um, Springfield Cardinals, Temple Bull Weevils, Tulsa Drillers, and Wichita Falls Sputters. The uh, Tulsa Drillers. Yeah, nice. Also being featured on the sh- uh, earlier in the episode. All right. Got to love a tie-in. Got to. As accidental as it might be, yes, a tie-in. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's the baseball gods at work as they as Absolutely. They uh, the passing of the Texas League means a discontinuation of a lot of history and records, unfortunately. Uh, the team with the most Texas League championships was the Houston Buffaloes, who had 16. The league's first champion was the Dallas Hams in 1888. And the last champion was the Amarillo Sod Poodles in 2019. Which a series I watched, and it was a great series. That was a, yeah. that was a great series. Uh, they, of course, didn't play last year, so there wasn't a 2020 champion. Uh, the longest streak of championships was held by the Fort Worth Panthers, who had six straight championships between 1920 and 1925. Besides these team records, many great players came through and were awarded uh, Player of the Year or Pitcher of the Year, uh, including Dizzy Dean, for the 1931 Houston Buffaloes, Hank Greenberg in 1932 with the Beaumont Exporters, Joe Morgan in 1964 with the San Antonio Bullets. First of Dinner. all, let's let's give props to the San Antonio Bullets, who at the time were the farm club of the Colt 45s. Right? That's awesome. Their organization was really on point with the names because they also had the Moultrie 22s. That's right. That's right. I forgot all about that, too. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you can't. You couldn't do that in 2021, but it's awesome no, for whatever. Probably yeah. not. You probably couldn't even have the Colt 45. You probably could. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah, uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, Dennis Eckers, Eckersley in 1974 with the San Antonio Brewers. Um, Daryl Strawberry in 1982 with the Jackson Mets. Mike Moustakis in 2010 with the Arkansas Northwest Arkansas Naturals. That name is a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, George Springer in 2013 with the Corpus Christi Hooks, and Matt Chapman in 2016 with the Midland Rockhounds. The record for the highest attendance at a single Texas League game was set by the Dallas Eagles with 54,151 fans packed into Burnett Field on April 11, 1950. The single season attendance record was set by the Round Rock Express in 2004 with a total of 689,286 yeah. fans passing through the gates at Dell Diamond. I was at about four of them, so yeah. Yes, yeah. You were part of history. Part of history. All right. So, uh, that- let me, but let me, let's, let's, you know, what you did was you went through a lot of names, a lot of numbers, and a lot yeah. of years. And that matters to people like you and me, people that watch this show. Mm-hmm. Does it prove... That it was so easy because you know as well as I do, Andrew. They could have kept these league names and just oh, reshuffled yeah. them. Does this prove what everybody thinks that Manfred actually doesn't care about the the diehard baseball fan? Yeah, I mean, they just want they want control and homogeneity and efficiency. Uh, I think that's a big part of it. Um, you know, they they didn't don't want the distinctiveness of of minor league baseball. Unfortunately, we're starting to see it more and more. Uh, despite how they reassured us as this was all going down, um, 
you know, we're starting to hear about how they're restricting um, alternate jerseys sure. for, um, for the teams that we're, it's sounding more and more like we're probably not going to see Copa um, after this year. After this year. Yeah. Um, that's going to be a question I'm going to have in our MILB preview episode uh, in two weeks. We're going to talk to Jeff Lance about that, but yeah, I know that that only 70 teams are doing it this year. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's all want... stuff they already had done too. Like, yeah. you know, they're not doing new ones. Um, it, you know, putting on my tinfoil hat and thinking a little conspiratorially, it's hard not to feel like a lot of this Jersey stuff is probably uh, related to the MLB deal with Nike. And then, oh. uh, you know, there are a lot of these leagues and clubs had deals with OC sports or some other three, one, two. And yeah, yeah, some other company to make their, um, their at least their alternate jerseys. Um, you know, so it's, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I felt, pretty okay at first when it did seem like they were really trying to find homes for as many of these teams as they could. Um, it, it did seem like MLB was pretty much living up to their word there. Uh, and all, most of the orphan teams have ended up finding somewhere to play. Something. Yeah. Only three or yeah. four didn't, I think. Um, but you, we're starting to see this creeping in. We're starting to see, some of the new teams releasing their jerseys that look a lot like their parent club jerseys. And it's, yeah. Um, I couldn't get more, I couldn't get less fired up. I mean, than the Somerset Patriots being super excited about pinstripes. That's exactly and, who I was thinking about. Yeah. You know, and um, I, I'm at least, you know, it's funny because um, in the microcosm as an Astros fan, Houston has long owned two of their clubs and have never yeah. really involved themselves on that part of it. So I'm at least reassured, but mm-hmm. the Yankees, the Cardinals and the Cubs kind of, it's their thing to do that. Right. Yeah. Homogeneity. And I mean, you know, it, I, I know I'm uh, can sound a little bit like a Homer when I'm like, well, you know, I'm not that worried about my team. I think they're going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. But this, the, um, the twins and the saints, really put out a full court press to try and reassure people, you know, like you're going to a saints game, you're going to be going to a saints game. It's going to be very much like it was before. Uh, you know, it's not going to be the recurring guys that they had, they would have for a few years at a time because they're not the saints guys anymore. They're the twins guys. Um, but you know, they even said, Hey, you know, people are worried that we're going to make the saints like us. We're hoping to bring more of the saints to target field. Yeah. God, that's the smart so. way to do it. So much fun. Um, but yeah, but to know, me, that's the smart way to do it because the, you wanted in this business for a reason. And the reason is they're in some ways more successful at the gate than the parent clubs have been. For sure. Um, I guess last question, boy, this one ended up being a, down, a downer though, but like over under a number of years that this show pure, becomes purely about indie and com- collegiate summer league baseball. Ah, uh, over under. Uh, well, you're supposed to give me a, okay, a three target. over, over, under, over, over, under. under three. This becomes three. Really oh, uh, I think I might take the under on that one. Whoa. <laughs> okay. So it might uh, only be like a couple years. Yeah. All right. So last thing we did not have a winner for last year's trivia, last week's trivia question. However, what yeah. do we have for us this week? All right. So we're, I'm going to give the answer to the trivia question, even though n- nobody got it, even though we kind of gave it away. <laughs> I'm going to be, uh, none of these questions are going to be that hard. They might sound esoteric, but yeah. 
You can find them on Wikipedia or someplace else that's easy to find, I promise. So the question last week was, the Beaumont Gators on-field cap logo was a B in a golden triangle. What's the significance of the golden triangle? And the golden triangle represented the cities of Beaumont, Port Arthur, and Orange, Texas, who were locally known as the Golden Triangle due to their oil wealth. All money. Yeah. Now, this week's trivia question. And like I said, this is easy. You should be able to look this up. It's not, not that hard. <clears throat> Joining the Texas League in 1966, which team operated longer than any other team in the league under the same name? All right, guys, look it up. All you got to do is go to the Wikipedia page for the history of the Texas League. Be the first one to leave it in the comments on the YouTube clip, either the main show or just this segment when it drops. Uh, Andrew, you're going to be back next week. Thanks so much for jumping on and bringing us another Raiders. All right. Thanks for having me, Jim. And now on to close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. So that does wrap us up on this episode of Let's Get Two. I want to thank everybody for jumping on and talking a little baseball with us. It's been pretty awesome this week to see everybody getting out to the ballpark. All of our friends, both my friends on Twitter and even those, yes, in real life, which I think is supposed to matter more. I don't know. But it's been great. And we're going to start to see a lot more of that as the minor league season starts, knowing that we're getting back to normal a little bit. And again, it's been really awesome for me to live that through you. I've been out to a couple of games myself, and, and I've got tickets for Round Rock's opener opening weekend for the Hooks. Again, excited. But I do ask a favor, and as much as I think I'm in a position to ask a favor, please, when you're heading out to the ballpark, remember that, yes, we're still under some COVID restrictions. It's going to be restricted seating. You're going to have to probably wear a mask, even in the stands when you're not actually eating or drinking. But remember that as frustrated as you might be about these policies, the person at a high school with their first job taking tickets, or the retiree walking up the aisles as an usher, or the person selling you beer or, or mocking me for putting ketchup on a hot dog, they are not the reason that policy exists. So don't take it out on them. If you're frustrated, just at least take the good part that you're at a ballpark and it feels almost normal and the rest of it will come. Don't make their lives harder by picking on them for something they don't have any control over. So that is our show. Get out to the ballpark. Let's get some hot dogs. Let's get some peanuts. Let's get some Cracker Jack. And let's get two.